You are listening to Sex Afflictions and Porn Addictions, and I am your host, Craig Perra, from themindfulhabit.com. I'm the founder of the Mindful Habit System, and this is a podcast to empower you to create healthy sexuality and a great life. Thank you so much for listening, and today we're going to talk about sex addiction. We're going to talk a little bit about doctrine. We're going to talk about why the disease-based model is keeping you stuck. You're going to come out of this podcast with a clear understanding why if that's all you're doing, why it's insufficient to get you where you want to go. And to help me do that, I have a very special guest. He is our resident expert at The Mindful Habit. He's a psychologist. He's a graduate of the University of Adam Mickiewicz in Poznan, Poland, a recovery coach. He's getting certified as a psychosexual therapist as we speak. And before all those fancy titles, he was certified first in the mindful habit system. He is my brother. He is my best friend. He was a former client. Adrian Stoibrin, welcome, brother. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Welcome. Oh, listen, man, here. I'm so glad you're here. And, um, you know, when, when uh, um, I, I continue to be blown away, Adrian, by all the incredible work that you're doing and, and, and to see your growth in, in, in sexual knowledge, it has been such a major, major, major contributor to um, the Mindful Habit System and, and, and your clients. And, um, you know, it, 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 is, is it fair to say that as your education increased, the further away you got from using the disease-based model with your clients? Yeah, most definitely. I think even during uh, this first, uh, I would say, first era of my, of my work when I was coaching people as, as the Mindful Habit Coach, um, I started realizing that um, the addiction model or the disease-based model doesn't work for many people, that there are some other reasons. Uh, there is something else happening behind the curtain that I don't yet understand, but that it isn't definitely a model that fits everybody. And some people are very stuck because of that. Some people cannot progress because of that. And that's how I started to be more hungry of that knowledge. And I started reaching out for new resources. And the more I learned, the, the more complex this became in my mind, the more I understood. And, and, and we're going to dive into some of that complexity today, specifically, Adrian. And, and just for those of you who um, may be new or, you know, j just figuring this out, um, you know, you may have seen some of the articles online, is sex addiction real? And is, um, you know, watching porn compulsively an addiction? And so academically, there is a debate being had as we speak. And on one side of that debate, you have the um, Pat Carnes, um, CSAT certified sex addiction therapist, um, you know, you, treating this as a, as a disease, using the legacy of 12 steps and Bill W, an 85-year-old model invented for the treatment of alcoholism and, and, and applying it. So, so on one side, you got that group. On the other side, um, you've got the um, sex positive community 
um, and part of that community, the American Society for Sex Educators, Counselors, on, and Therapists, one of the leading and highest educated groups in the United States of sex educators, counselors, and therapists are on record saying the disease-based model is negligent and it falls beneath the standard of care. So, so that, that's the debate and, and that matters and it matters to you because um, you need to make sure that you are approaching this problem in a robust comprehensive way and we're going to talk today about why exactly you need to do that so 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 why be, before before we, we we hit the record button Adrian we were talking about you know why the disease model just just alone doesn't work and you gave me a great example let's start there tell, tell, tell me let's answer that question for you why um, does does this model um, fail um, so many people Sure, because in the disease-based model of addiction, uh, we have that chemical de dependency, right, in the background. So there, is, uh, there are hormones in our brain that are released when we are excited. Uh, that's dopamine and a couple other hormones. And, uh, you know, the idea is that because we have unnaturally high levels of dopamine when we watch porn, then we have unnaturally high uh, or unnaturally deep lows of dopamine. We have uh, a moment when we feel very low and that deregulates our whole brain and it changes the way it functions. Uh, but, you know, there is, uh, I would say, a simpler explanation that shows uh, it can be a totally different issue altogether. Uh, for example, there may be a situation where you're, for some reason, um, not uh, as active sexually as you would like to be. For example, your partner is maybe having a different temperament, different libido, uh, you're maybe not she's sick or something. Yeah, maybe she's sick, or or the intimacy between you two is is affected by the conflicts that you have in your relationship, and you're not having enough sex. You're not having enough stimulation. Maybe you hate yourself for the the things you like in sex also, and you don't realize them. You don't do them. Uh, so uh, because of that, you're under your sexual optimum, and that concept of sexual optimum is where you want to be. This is when you feel, I, I have enough sex. I'm feeling great. I'm feeling healthy. I'm feeling full in a sense. Just like you, you, when you're hungry and you eat and after a good meal, you feel full. You don't feel like you want to eat another huge pizza, right? Uh, you're just feeling full. I'm good for some time, right? Until uh, you, you, you feel the, the hunger hitting again. And sexuality is very similar in that sense that we have certain amount of, of sexual food that we need to eat. Uh, it's different for everybody. It depends on hormones and many other things. And, um, you know, because of those simple reasons, sometimes we are uh, starving ourselves sexually. And when you're starving for a very long time, you become obsessed with food. You, if you're starving sexually, you become obsessed with sex. And that creates out-of-control behaviors when, uh, you know, you start to do things that you wouldn't do otherwise. You know, you, you start to masturbate in public. You start to... Uh, call the prostitutes, uh, you start to obsess about it, you spend enormous amounts of time just, 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 just thinking about it, right? So uh, this is a sign that you are, you know, you were starved for a very long time and now you're going overboard with this whole thing. And the idea is that actually uh, in order to heal yourself and to be more in control, uh, you shouldn't use abstinence, you shouldn't stay away from sex and, you know, don't touch yourself, don't touch anybody. That's the addiction model. 
you should actually stay in your sexual optimum. So accept your sexuality and embrace it and have as much sex as your body needs. And a great question here is, how much sex my body needs actually? Because we don't know when we're compulsive, we feel like it's totally out of control. I, I want sex all the time. I remember when I was having this issue, I, I was thinking about sex all the time. Uh, I know if you can relate with that, Craig, but you know, I just was all the time thinking about what I could do with whom, where, and so on. Agreed. Right? No, mm -hmm. it, it, this, this concept of sexual optimum, Adrian, I think is really important because it's different for everybody. Yeah. It's different with, within relationships. Mm -hmm. and, 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 and it's just a perfect example. If that, if that compulsive sexual behavior is the result of you being out of your sexual optimum, now that invites the question for you is what is your sexual opt optimum you know that leads to this this obsession it's all you think about it right and that what you resist yeah. persists it grows it grows it consumes mm. you um and 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 the, the cure there is more sexual intimacy with your partner um maybe masturbating to control um that higher libido how many guys mm -hmm. do we see adrian who um you know successful have that higher libido um, and just have no concept of how to proactively manage it. And, and the yeah. first reaction is shut it down um, when mm. in fact that often is not um, the correct approach. Agreed? Yeah, sure. And it's not possible in, in most cases. Also, science shows that um, libido can be uh, lowered to the level of, you know, even non-existence uh, only for people who have low libido already, natural. So those guys can be celibate. Uh, they can just, you know, freeze their sexuality in a sense when they are uh, not having opportunities or they are kind of blocked mentally. Uh, they can do that. But for most people who have high sexual libido, it's impossible. They have to embrace that libido, and most people don't know how to do it. They push their partners to have sex with them. But guess what? Your partner can have a very different sexual optimum than you have, right? And then. When you're forcing the partner or, or pushing the partner, manipulating the partner to have sex with you when you want it, uh, that creates a situation of resentment, of conflict. Uh, imagine that, you know, you're, you don't eat very much and if you eat two slices of pizza, you feel very full and somebody forces you and manipulates you into eating whole pizza each day. Right? You would start, you would start to resent that person, right, Craig? Like, that would be uh, something... Yeah, yeah, right? Like, like, it's not what my body wants. And similar, many women have lower sexual libido than men, and uh, they, they, they don't want as much sex, which, which leaves guys sexually frustrated. They are under their sexual optimum, and, and they push the partner. The partner gets resentful, so they seek the uh, sexual release somewhere else. And I think that really fits many of our clients, many issues of our clients. So it's not at all about the addiction is about learning how to manage your sexuality and feed yourself and your body in a way that it needs. Yeah, brilliant. And that's why, brother, we say here at The Mindful Habit, the goal has to be to create healthy sexuality. And, and, and you know, th listen, we, we, I want you, listener, to think about this concept of sexual optimum. What is yours? If you're in a relationship, what is your um, partner's sexual optimum and just 
and listen, this is just one area. We could literally go on for the rest of the afternoon on all the different roles that compulsive sexual behavior um, can, 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 um, can play and can impact um, you know, being out of your sexual optimum is just one. Um, let's go to another one, Adrian, because we literally could spend, I think, a whole podcast on, on that. Um, yeah, but, sure. but what about the, um, this, an attachment strategy? What, 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 how else, how does sexual compulsive sexual behavior um, play a role there? Mm -hmm. So this was the topic that I was actually researching for my master thesis. And um, the idea that I started with is that uh, we have this attachment system where, um, you know, when we are little children between the age of, of, zero to three years old, uh, we create this attachment to our primary um, figure you know, of, of care and primary figure of attachment. That will be the mom. Uh, usually, sometimes the dad, if mom is not, not present, you know, but the primary figure is usually the first person that we see and the first person that we spend time with. And relationship with that person is extremely important for the child, obviously. So we form something and, and all the other mammals in the animal king, kingdom develop it in the same way. We develop those strategies that allow us to become close with, with this attachment figure, to become safe. So children learn how to, how to um, grab mom when, when she's close, uh, to hug her, to seek safety in her arms, to cry when they need something. The mom is alarmed and she's coming, responding to her needs. And that creates this basic idea in the child that when I need something, I, I have somebody that's safe for me, that will provide for me. I can trust that person. I can become close with that person. That means this very basic idea. When it doesn't happen for many reasons, um, either you were um, left for adoption or uh, your parents didn't have time or they weren't very responsive to your needs, we create different strategies. For example, uh, we, when, for example, the child, when it's left alone, it starts crying hysterically and the mom comes back and uh, tries to calm him down or calm her down, but the, the child is still crying. Uh, so that is like a hyperactivation strategy. I want to be close all the time. I, I will not let mommy go out of the room. I will not go to school. I want to be with the parent all the time because I feel unsafe. That's a hyperactivation strategy. This attachment system is very active. We want to be close all the time because of fear of losing that person, right? Fear that they are going to go somewhere and not provide. So that is showing us that there is some unsafety in that relationship. That's a hyperactivation strategy. Now, uh, just to wrap the head around that, we have also the uh, deactivating strategy, which means the child at some point decides that nobody decides, I would say. It's a very primary process. It doesn't happen on the, I would say, conscious level. but uh, when the, the mother is not showing up, for example, the child is crying and the mother is not showing up at some point or the, 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 the caretakers are changing all the time. At some point, the child will realize I cannot attach to anybody. Those people will not respond to my needs. I cry and nobody cares. So I have to be on my own. I have to um, take care of myself. I have to be independent. I have to withdraw from those relationships. Those people, if I depend on them, I'm just going to feel sad and, and feel, put myself at risk. You know? So it's better to stay off the attachment. Uh, and that's the, the, the deactivating strategy. So we, we, we withdraw from emotional closeness 
and uh, we, we try to kind of separate ourselves and be as independent as we can so we don't depend on others. And uh, this sexual compulsive behavior can be used for both reasons, which is very interesting for me because usually we do something to either detach from somebody, right, to just go away, uh, leave that person and, 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 and just be, you know, separate, or we do something to become close, but sexuality can do both things. It can be uh, used as a, you know, as a hyperactivation strategy when a person wants to be close all the time, they want to be having sex all the time, having intimacy all the time, having fantasies about people all the time. That's a hyperactivation strategy. That creates instant sense of emotional closeness for those people. Uh, and it can be used also to detach. Um, you know, I'm having, I'm masturbating on my own with porn instead of having sex with my partner because I don't want to become too close. I want to be independent. Uh, you know, I, I don't want to depend on that person in terms of uh, satisfying my sexuality. Um, being too close is scary, right? So, so I have to do something to separate myself. Maybe I will cheat. Maybe I'll be with somebody else, you know, when, when things get, get tough, especially. Uh, so, so this is another, another explanation. Those things happen for many guys and it's formed very, very early on in life. It, it, it's just mind-blowing when you think of really how complicated this issue is and how many um, parts that you mm -hmm. um, brothers struggling with this, you know, how many threads you got to pull on because yeah. it's never one thing. And, and listen, what, what's, what, what role does a fetish or, um, you know, accepting, you know, what you like, what role does that play in this, Adrian? Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, that's, that's another thing that we didn't speak about. You know, sometimes we um, judge our behaviors. Uh, for example, they don't fit our moral standard or they don't, don't fit uh, 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 to what we think we are as a person or to our status, whatever. Uh, those things we judge morally. And uh, when we do that, then we don't allow ourselves to have those fantasies or preferences or those fetishes. And when we, when, when we don't allow ourselves to have our preferences, fetishes, sexual fantasies, um, quite often it becomes, you know, again, out of control behavior uh, because of something that I mentioned before, because you're out of your sexual optimum, right? You're not giving yourself enough proper stimulation and your body enough proper stimulation. And for some people, the proper stimulation will be BDSM practices for some other people, it will be just having tender sex with the, with the wife, right? It's very different for everybody, but very often we hate our fetish. We don't like that we are attracted to female feet or that we like anal sex or that we are bisexual or homosexual. And we, we, we try to kind of heal that impulses in ourselves and we feel uh, that it's always winning with us, that it's out of control, but actually it's if the behavior is not out of control. Our judgments are making it out of control. We think that it's out of, out of control, but it just appears as for any healthy person, it will appear when you're passing a, a stranger, it's a very attractive person. You're going to notice that this is an attractive person. You're going to feel something in your body. That's, that's a sexual impulse. Uh, and, and we don't judge those impulses because when we are okay with our sexuality, right? But when it becomes something scary, something morally wrong, we start judging those impulses and then we believe that when I have those impulses, it's out of control. Um, I have to fight with it, you know, I, I have to kill that 
fetish. I have to shame myself into not doing something. But many of those behaviors actually can be practiced in a very healthy, consensual way with a loving partner, somebody that uh, has similar fetishes or, that, or agrees with you, it's consensual. It doesn't have to be this scary, uh, isolating thing. It, it, it's a force and it's an energy that must be channeled, that must be directed. And we like to say, as I've said before, we treat intimacy disorders. Um, I also like to say, whenever we talk about fetishes, that which you resist persists. Mm-hmm. And, and the demonizing of those parts only makes them stronger. It must be channeled and directed. And you know, what's interesting, Adrian, as we're talking about each one of these, these factors in terms of why, um, you know, what role the sexual compulsive behavior plays in a person's life, which is really mm-hmm. what we're doing. I mean, it, it's, it's, it, it's, I hope is also highlighting for you um, and, and really the purpose of this broadcast is to, you know, like ask questions, like stop, think and reflect and say, wait a minute, what role, wait, where do, where do I, where do I see some of me over here? Where do I see some of me over here? And, and, and you're, you're going to see a little bit of yourself maybe in each one of the categories um, that we're talking about. Um, and, and, and the goal is so you can better understand this very complicated area um, mm. where it, it, it is too simple and, and wrong to, I have an addiction, I must stop my addiction, there's my solution. Um, and, and, it, and, it, and it simply doesn't work that way. So, and, and there are so many other factors, there are so many other roles that the compulsive sexual behavior plays. Um, what about as a soothing habit? Let's talk about that for a little bit, Adrian. Talk about sure. um, compulsive sexuality as a soothing habit in states of a strong emotional arousal. Because we hear all the time um, the positive attribute of the compulsive behavior, the purpose that it's serving um, is emotional regulation. So tell me a little bit about this. Well, yeah, I I think that this is mainly the topic or the model that we started with when we started the mindful habit you started the mindful habit and then i you know i i, I uh, helped you with, with many things and i think that you know uh, this was the model that we started with that there are people who are struggling with their feelings right they, they have those strong emotions triggers and then we you know uh we have to do something about those triggers we have to uh create other alternative habits that help help us feel better in the moment without using sex for that reason right so I think that's something that most of us can relate to because we usually um, act out, masturbate. Most of the people I think that, that, that we deal with act out and masturbate when they are uh, feeling either sad, lonely, tired, exhausted, angry. Um, sometimes, you know, because they feel rejected, uh, lonely. You know, all those difficult feelings that we don't know really how to deal with are, you know, creating this, you know, this idea of, um, I have to escape, you know, I have to, I have to cope, I have to numb. And that's when this soothing behavior comes up. And, and it's very natural behavior for children, for example, uh, when they are feeling uh, a huge pressure, stress. Uh, some children masturbate instrumentally, which means that they use masturbation not for sexual purposes, but just to 
discharge the emotional tension. And for some people, it stays the same later on in life, that we don't use porn, we don't use this compulsive sex for uh, discharging our sexual tension. It's not about what our body wants. It's more about how can I run away from those feelings that are so difficult for me, you know? Like, how can I feel better for a moment? So I think that's, you know, that's a big chunk of what we're dealing with, but, but not the only thing, obviously. Yeah, well, and, and I just want to remind um, you, dear listener, my last podcast um, was on the positive attributes of your compulsive porn use. And what we did there is we identified all of the um, needs that the behavior might be, be meeting and, and helping you numb, cope, and escape um, is at the top of everybody's list. And as we go through, you know, when you think about the list that we're talking about today, um, you know, I want you to see what, I want you to ask yourself and, ha- and help you understand what needs is this behavior meeting? Is it uh, a way of deactivating and, or hyperactivating my attachment strategy? Okay, Adrian and I did a podcast on attachment theory. This might be yeah. an opportunity to go back and, and to uh, learn how those uh, past may be impacting your today. Second is, uh, wait, my compulsive sexual behavior is the result of me being out of my sexual optimum. So many great questions for you to ask yourself there. What is your sexual optimum? What needs is a compulsive sexual behavior meeting? Uh, my compulsive sexual behavior is the lack of uh, my accepting my fetish. Um, mm. or I'm uncomfortable about what, what, what touches that arousal mechanism. It sickens me. I repulse and I resist. And that which you resist um, persists. My compulsive sexual behavior is um, a soothing habit in states of strong emotional arousal, meaning I'm using it to numb, cope, and escape. Um, And so, like, literally, each one of those subjects is a a broadcast in and of itself. Um, These are the questions I want you thinking about. And and there's more, you know. So so, so, um, we're we're not done yet beyond um, the so common... Um, you know, behavior is the symptom. This is a soothing habit. Um, what about um, identity and low self-esteem, Asian? What role can sexual uh, behavior play there? Let's talk about that for a minute. Yeah, well, um, you know, sexual conquests can be very empowering in a sense. You know, we may feel um, power, powerful and uh, we may feel uh, that we have value, that we are significant, when we are um, starting to a new sexual liaison or we are uh, attractive in somebody else's eyes, right? So um, I think that, you know, this can serve a role as, you know, a way to deal with our um, low self-esteem identity crisis. So instead of uh, empowering ourselves through action, through setting goals, through reminding ourselves what are, what are uh, our values and what is our value in this world? Uh, we start, you know, using other people to kind of uh, reassure us that we have value. Uh, if somebody is, is attracted to me, somebody wants to have sex with me, somebody's in love with me, that means I have value, right? 
sometimes it's even deeper uh, and, and it's about the identity. I don't know who I am because, you know, I, that's my only identity, the sex addict. Otherwise, I don't know who I am, you know, uh, as a person. Um, you know, who, I, who would I be without that sexual compulsion? I don't know. So that's an identity crisis where you have to, that's a very deep word. And I, I, I really recommend therapy for that, uh, that part. You have to work on realizing who you are, you know, understanding who you are as a person. What are your values? What are your motivations in life outside of your compulsive sexual identity, outside of, of your addict identity? What are those things? Uh, and it takes time. It's a process. So you see, it doesn't have to be about suiting yourself necessarily. It can be about just, you know, trying to find, a, 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 um, I would say, a place in the, in the world, trying to feel significant, trying to feel like your life matters or that you have some kind of identity at least. And for you guys out there who are struggling with infidelity, um, I want to say this. It's not the sex. It's the significance. So exactly what Adrian is talking about now, um, you know, I like to say this, the percentage of men that I've worked with who are, who primarily, who's their number one problem is sex and porn related or sex and porn dominant. That number is, drum roll please, zero, 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 zero. What I mean by that is the behavior is the symptom so for you brothers who um know the porn stars names follow them on social media get you know a boner when you're retweeted or something's liked on social media um or or the cam girl gives you that extra bit of attention um or or if you're cheating you know just reflect on what that whole situation is doing for you and and i predict that you will see when you're ready to see it um it's not the sex um it's the significance and um you know that has been my like literally uniform conclusion over the years and again just to highlight all the different complex roles that sexual behavior um, plays in our lives and why treating it or too much of it as a disease. I, I really, really, I don't know how you can listen to what I'm saying and, and, and say that uh, the, that disease word makes sense to me. And that doesn't mean you lose, you, you know, I'm not saying, you know, take away your community. Like you do what you got to do to be successful. And I have the audacity to criticize the model and I charge people to join my program. So I want to be careful not to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Um, and, um, you know, I want you to see how complicated this is because I'm pretty confident in each one of our points that we made, most men are going to be able to find themselves in at least a few different areas. Mm -hmm. and, and, and we're still not done. We're still not yeah. done. Let's talk about OCD, Adrian. Sex yeah. can also be a role there. Tell me about that. Yeah, yeah. Like, um, you know, another thing that happens, I think, for some people is that they have this uh, obsessive-compulsive personality or obsessive-compulsive obsessive disorder. For those who don't know about it, it's uh, a situation where you have um, heightened anxiety level all the time, and because of that, you, have, you develop rituals that make you feel 
uh, home again, right? So you can, for example, wash your hands uh, 20 times, right? Um, after, after eating something, or you may close your door three times. You have to close your door three times in order to feel, uh, you know, to feel calm. So that's part of OCD. Of course, there are obsessive thoughts as well. You're thinking about something all the time, over and over again, ruminating, right? So that's an obsession. And uh, I think that, you know, uh, compulsive sexuality can fit into that model as well, because um, for many people, it's about their, their anxiety uh, and they start looking for this perfect ritual that will make them feel calmer. Uh, so some people collect uh, stuff like, like, like videos or, you know, they collect uh, magazines or they collect books, you know, and they have to have perfect collection or they have to seek for the perfect scene and they have the whole folders of files that are filled with the best scenes from, from porn movies. And I'm not being triggering on purpose here. I'm just sharing those examples for you guys so you can maybe see yourself in some of that. If that's the case and you just have to repeat your ritual and it has to be done in this uh, perfect manner and, and, and you know, it's, it's just something that is... I would say very schematic and repetitive all the time. And it, there's a lot of, I would say, seeking for perfection in that behavior. That may be the sign that they're struggling with some of those OCD traits, you know, that this is actually uh, the primary problem that you're dealing with, that there is heightened anxiety level and you have to learn uh, how to deal with that anxiety better. Uh, um, and the uh, cognitive behavioral therapy helps here a lot, or, or you have to go on meds. Whatever works for you, uh, we offer some tools also to deal with the anxiety and the mindful habit, and it works for many guys. So um, I think that you know that can be a pattern as well. Like I remember, uh, I think at the end of my um, porn addiction, I was seeking for perfect. I think it was 108 uh, photos. It was like a magic number for me uh, of, of 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 sexual like like nude pictures. You know, those were not porn pictures. It was more artistic and tasteful you know more like an erotica but i was seeking like the, the perfect body type and the perfect picture and the lighting and everything and i wasted i think hundreds of hours on that you know i wasted huge amounts of time on creating that perfect collection and um, then you know then i decided i just want to quit i want to i want to recover i'm i'm, I'm sick of it and i started working with you craig but uh it took me actually you know i think half a year until I was strong enough to delete that collection, you know, like I was, I was half a year, uh, half a year sober, you know, using the addiction terms again, half a year free from those compulsive behaviors. Uh, but you know, it took me that much time to just realize, okay, I have to delete that, that collection. And it was extremely hard because I felt I spent so much time, so much effort. That's my perfect collection. What is going to calm me down now? So, that's an example of, of obsessive compulsive behavior, OCD thing that happens. And I find that in many other areas of my life, I have to create lists for stuff that I'm doing. And the list has to be perfect. That's a very OCD thing. Or the other things, you know, like, like creating a book collection that has to be perfect. Maybe you have some similar issues. That's why I'm sharing that it may be, sexuality may be part of those rituals. Yeah, it, it's, you know, my mind is bouncing in 50,000 different places because it is such a complicated issue, Adrian. And, and there, there's, you know, we see it so much. There's, there's, and, and, and I, 
I was thinking of a couple things. I was thinking of Tara, and, and Tara is the wife of um, a guy who I worked with, Dan, beautiful man. And um, she helped us, and she had OCD, and it was the mindful habit system was the only thing that worked for her. And, and then there are some other people with OCD that we, you know, I, I haven't done well with. So, again, everybody is different everybody is different and it you know you may check the ocd ritual box kinda and and you may have you know four or five other categories as well and to be clear this list is not exclusive it is not exhaustive and it is not mutually exclusive in that you pick if you fall into this category you don't fall into others no that is not true. You likely fall into multiple categories. Yeah. Yes, multiple exactly. categories. And um, this last one is near and dear to me personally. Um, let's talk about the role of trauma in compulsive sexual behavior, Adrian. Yeah, sure. So um, I, that was the last idea that came to me. Maybe there are more uh, models or, 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 or sources of, of compulsive behaviors. But um, what I've seen... Uh, with the uh, in the clients that I'm working with is that uh, some of them suffered uh, abuse, uh, sexual abuse, especially as children, and because of that, they created this warped view of what sexuality is and warped view of who they are and what is their value. So uh, you know, there's this mechanism in psychology that's called, and that's a hard word. Uh, re-traumatization so you're re-traumatizing yourself and you know what that means is that you know you were uh, you know you were let's say uh, raped and then you find a situation where you are uh, again at risk of being raped you're seeking those kind of situations right like or, or you're seeking abusers a little bit like a uh, in Stockholm syndrome right I don't know if you guys heard about this uh, when, when the victim of abuse wants to be abused again right so and there is an explanation of that on the chemical level, on the brain level. And the, the idea or the theory behind that behavior is that our brain, our psyche tries to resolve that trauma and it cannot resolve it, uh, um, you know, during the, 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 the periods of safety. So uh, we attempt to have the same trauma so we can finally process it in the right way. We can finally overcome it in a sense you know we're, that, that, that's the way it's explained I, I think there are probably more explanations of that but that's the one that I uh, understood and uh, that, that kind of ring the bell when I was uh, reading about that, that topic so that happens for many people who are abused sexually they, they tend to seek uh, situations when they can be abused again or they put themselves at risk of uh, transmitting sexual diseases or, or, or being abused or, or raped or, or you know other, other, uh, or, or, you know, Adrian, what about men who had a unhealthy, um, two abusive same sex relationship mm -hmm. when they were younger and that mm -hmm. part of them was touched and then they lose themselves in trans mm -hmm. porn, they lose themselves in gay porn and here they are yeah. married and, 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 you know, religious on, on the outside. Mm -hmm. And on the inside, they're deeply ashamed um, mm -hmm. of these, you know, that, that the, these childhood experiences born in trauma that they're reliving mm -hmm. in, yeah, their in the 
Yeah, yeah, that, that's a great point that it doesn't have to happen in real life, it can happen in fantasies as well, right? So you try to relieve that experience by fantasizing about it so you can finally deal with it, right? And uh, it's not your fault, guys who are struggling with this, I just want to say that to you, it's not your fault that you're having those behaviors, uh, it's just a mechanism of your brain that tries to deal with the trauma. Until you process the trauma, until you heal your trauma, these things will pop up. And it may be that you're going to be triggered by certain things till the end of your life, but you can learn how to deal with your triggers, how to deal with the situations that are um, you know, um, triggering that, 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 that uh, flashbacks of trauma, triggering the, those ideas of what happened, feelings of, that you felt back then. Uh, you can deal with those events in a better way if you are in therapy or in coaching that is aimed at, at, at dealing with the trauma. So uh, that can be one of the reasons why guys, you know, why guys do those things. And then it's also, it's not based on how they feel in the moment. It's more based on them constantly feeling that they need to uh, go back to that experience so they can finally get over it. You know, on the subconscious level, obviously, it doesn't happen by you saying to yourself, okay, now I want to be, you know, abused again. It doesn't happen this way, obviously. It's about what happens in your brain, what happens under the level of consciousness. And diving deep into those wounds that mm -hmm. are still festering, uh, growing, um, living in you. And... And, you know, when you look at so many of these different categories as you, you know, the reason for, right, and uh, uh, the compulsive sexual behavior, I want to be clear, we're not making excuses. I don't, and, and for my partners who are listening now, you know, here, here's what I want to say. Um, you have been hurt, you are in pain, and that is terrible. And, and I don't want to do anything to make excuses for what your husband did. I want to help you understand why he did it maybe that might help that i certainly want to help him i need i need i need him to know i need to him to understand there's an input that created this output there's a reason why you know and listen we're just talking about the sexual behavior and and i get more mileage talking to brothers about the lying the compartmentalizing you know where did that ability to compartmentalize come from come from how can you look your partner in the face and lie you know there, there, there's a reason there's a reason for that and um adrian i want to thank you so much um you for much. Being here and um thank you so much for being part of this team um and guys if you want to call adrian there's an 800 number i want to give it to you right now it is 1-800-214 five two four nine he is on a different continent so make sure that you leave your name your number and your email address so he can contact you um adrian is brilliant i am so blessed to have him part of my team i want to take full credit damn it because there were listen <laughs> there were i had choices of people who i wanted to bring into my home into into you know how i feed my family 
And um, I knew Adrian was special. I knew, I knew it very early on. I saw that this, there's this, the compassion and the empathy and his thoughtfulness and his intelligence. I, I just something about it said to me that this guy is going to be helping people. Um, and I feel so blessed to have him on the team. So if you want to talk to him and you want um, either to work with him one-on-one -on -one or to learn more about the group coaching program from him, um, that number again is one 800-214-5249. Make sure you leave your name, your phone number, and your email address. And if someone wants to email you, Adrian, how can they um, do that? Uh, if they want to email me, uh, the best way is to uh, send me just, just a message from your Gmail account or you know, whatever you're using at adrian at themindfulhabit.com. Uh, Adrian at themindfulhabit.com. Um, I'm responding to emails within 24 hours. I'm available to you guys, and we are going to figure something out. I, like you see, I have the knowledge. I have the uh, experience. Um, I was struggling with those behaviors as well, so you cannot be in better hands. Yeah, no, thank you, Adrian. So blessed and so privileged. Um, and also, guys, so you know, Adrian plays a major role in our group coaching program. He's responsible for reviewing everyone's assignments. Um, he's responsible for, um, he runs a number of group coaching calls for brothers in the program. He is a very, very important part uh, of the Mindful Habit. Um, we wouldn't be where we are without him, and I am blessed and privileged. Um, to have him on the team, and I am blessed and privileged that you are listening to me. Thank you so much. I hope you learned something today. This is a complicated issue. There's no such thing as a one-size-fits-all. Anybody who tells you that um, is, is wrong, is wrong, even my system. It's not for everybody. We're trying to find the right guys who it works for um, because there are so, so many inputs that could be creating the output um, yeah. Here's to you, brother. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being here. Um, thank you for, um, you know, uh, listening as my closing draws on. Um, feed the right wolf. Embrace your power of choice. Thank you. And visit me at themindfulhabit.com. Bye, everybody.